to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. A couple weeks ago, I preached on Joshua chapter 3. Some of you were here for that. I talked about a particular passage in the scripture that I felt like God was calling our church into for the next season. And the phrase was, uh, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And if you miss that particular teaching, I think you need to listen to it if you call the garden home. And here's why. I think God is doing something unique in our church to set us up for a coming season. Our job is to consecrate ourselves. Our job is to set our lives apart, to do the hard work, the discipline, the sacrifice of choosing to live a certain way. And God's job is to do the amazing things. Does that make sense? So it's, I talked about, and this is stolen from another pastor, but the context for miracles is always sacrifice. And so we want the, the miracles in our life. We want miraculous things to happen. But oftentimes we won't commit our lives to the sacrifice. Does that make sense? And so that passage has led us into kind of a spontaneous series. And I need you to know that I feel like I'm taking a risk right now because in July every year, I kind of get away for a couple of weeks, and I, I map out teaching for the next year. I'll craft series, I'll study scripture, and, and I had a series that we were going to do from January um, to a couple months in, and then another series that we're going to do through Easter on Jesus and being wild and free, and those are they're amazing series. I think they're going to be great teaching, but it's not right now. And so I'm having to step into a place where I don't feel comfortable. I don't like going kind of week to week by what God has for us. It doesn't, it's really hard for me to do that. Um, and, but that's what we're doing right now. And so um, a couple of weeks ago, it was Joshua. Last week, built, I kind of asked him to kind of elaborate on the idea that holiness empowers us for usefulness. And so he did a great job on that. I've heard great things from that. And this week... As we're talking about um, where our church is at, I feel like God's moving us to Romans 12 in, in a particular passage that really makes sense for this season. So if you have a Bible, go to Romans 12. Um, and and, and we'll, we'll understand the context in a second. But here's what's going on. Uh, if you didn't know this, our church gave 25, approximately $25,000 above and beyond in the month of December to other things other than the garden. So we gave money to orphans around the world, local um, uh, uh, at-risk youth, and all the things that we did during our Irresistible campaign. We had no idea it was going to do that. So we, 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 brought, in, we brought in our uh, around $100,000 in the month of December, which is the most we've ever received as a church. In fact, yeah, that's amazing. I don't know why I'm sharing all this, other than to say when we started our church, our first... <laughs> I know Wendy and uh, Chris Cho are here, I think, but our first annual budget was like 125000 So our first, we were hoping that we'd bring in 100000 for the first year of our church existence. And last month we brought in over 100000 plus $25,000 on top of that given away. That's incredible generosity. That's, in, yeah, and some of you don't even know how to applaud apparently in the U.S., but... <laughs> That's incredible. And then I thought, it's really easy to give lots of money away. Do you know that? If you make money, it's very easy to give money. You know what's really hard? Time. Because you don't get time back. 168 hours in the week. You don't get to, you know, like invest more time and get more time on Saturday. You don't get more time. 
And I, I recognize that for some of us, it's very easy to give some money. It's very easy to show up once in a while. But the thing that's hardest is time. That is the commodity that we all want more of that we don't get access to. And so I was thinking about what it means to be the church and where our church is at. And so today I'm going to talk about Romans 12. You with me? Okay. We got a game today. We got a game today. Do we have any, uh, any, okay, so we have a lot of Seahawks fans. Are there Seahawks fans here? Yeah, okay. Packer fans? Okay. It's like Judea and Samaria right here. To the ends of the earth. (laughs) Hold on one second. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let's start here. So, uh, Paul says this, and I'll explain it in a second. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now keep going. For by the grace given me... I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. The word of the Lord. Romans 12. So here's what's going on. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome. And he's never been to Rome, and the point of the letter is a fundraising letter. Did you know that? You see, Paul's point isn't to give this beautiful description of the gospel, um, he, although that's part of it. He's not just instructing with issues, uh, giving them uh, instruction on some of the issues that they have. That's part of it. His whole plan is to go to Rome and let that be a home base where he can raise funds and go to Spain. That's the, why we have the letter of Rome, Romans. Does that make sense? That's pretty interesting, don't you think? So he's writing instructions to this church that he's never been to. And um, for the first 11 chapters, he's just explaining to them all that God has done. This is what God has done for you. It's the uh, indicative, as you could say. This is God uh, died on the cross from the beginning of time. What God has been doing for humanity and the church from the beginning of time. Um, And and he articulates it in an amazing way. People have written lots of books on this subject. But then at Romans chapter 12, he shifts gears. He moves from uh, what God has done for you to this is what you are to do now that you know what God has done for you. Does that make sense? It's called the imperative. In view of all that God has done, in view of the cross, in view of the resurrection, in view of him bringing reconciliation to all things, in view that you're part of his family, in view of all of that, now here's how you're going to live. Okay? That's what Paul always does in all of his letters, he, in most of his letters, you could say. Um, and so Romans 12 shifts. And so in view of God's mercy, the only thing you can possibly do to respond to what God has done for you is to offer your entire lives back to God. 
offer your life as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. You become holy and pleasing to Him. And holy is the word set apart. Now, that's, we've talked about this subject before. We've talked about these two verses. It's amazing. It talks about not being conformed, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he's talking about how we ought to live. But I want to focus on the, the next part of the passage. Um, because I, I love what he says. So moving from offering your lives back to God as a spiritual act of worship. Are you with me? He goes into talk. He starts talking to the church in Rome. And if you want to, if you want to think about this for a second, I want you to think about the church being a house church, a collection of house churches, 12 people, 20 people gathered in a home, smaller, six people reading this letter from Paul, the apostle from around the world and, and learning how to accurately live out your faith. And so let's start with verse three. I just want to break down this passage because I think just a Bible study on this, these particular verses would give us so much life into our church if we, if we listen to it. Are you with me? I'm coming off a of jet lag, so I feel like I'm giving a lot of energy right now, a lot of excitement. I'm not feeling the love tank back, you know what I'm saying? So, no, I am. I'm just kidding. Uh, some, of you, some of you don't know when I'm joking or not. Most of the time I'm joking. Most of the time, except when I'm preaching. Here we go. Uh, verse 3, for, I want you to see the way Paul sees life. For by the grace given me... I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So when we think about Paul preaching and talking and instructing, he uses this word grace all the time. And I think Paul sees life as a Christian through the lens of grace, that all of life is grace to him. And grace is unmerited favor from God. It's undeserved unmerited, free favor from God. Or you could say it's God enabling you to do something that you couldn't do on your own strength. So if you think about learning to live this perspective out, Paul will say um, he's received something from God, and because of him receiving that, he's going to instruct the church in Rome to live a certain way. And so for him, all of what he's done, all of what he has is, is grace. It's been given to him by God. This is a perspective, a mindset, a way of living, that grace is a way of living, that we have salvation through grace, we have been loved by God through grace, the way we, the fact that we got here is through grace. Paul would say that you're breathing, that is a grace from God, that you have a car to drive, that is a grace from God given to you. Life is, is a grace that we've received, does that make sense? So from a place of grace, from a place of receiving, he begins to instruct something to every single person in the church. And I love what he says. He begins by saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but have sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given to you. Okay, so we're going to start talking about gifts, but Paul wants us to have a particular mindset. And that word is humility. I need you to write, I want you to think about this deeply. Paul wants us to have an accurate mindset. He wants to see ourselves accurately. He wants us to understand ourselves accurately, to not have an elevated self of, uh, self-worth or, or uh, a lower sense of self-worth. It's, it's not those things that he's looking for, but humility is having an accurate sense of self, an accurate pers- perspective of who we are, And the only way we can have that mindset is if we know where we came from, if we know whose we are. The only way you can truly be humble 
um, is to know Jesus. I believe this with all my heart. Because uh, society will say it's all about self-esteem, right? You have to have a, an accurate self-esteem. So uh, a long time ago, they thought, you know, pride is the reason people are murdering each other in societies. So that they realize that actually it's, they think it's insecurity. And so we have to teach kids at a young age to have self-esteem. But what you don't recognize is that uh, if it's not societal standards that you're living by, and it, if it's your self-standards, that means don't listen to what other people say about you. Just care about what you think about yourself. That will actually fail as well. Right? The only way it works is if you recognize what Jesus has done for you and live in that identity where God says, I love you. You're good enough. You're my beloved. I'm well pleased with you. That's the perspective. But it starts by having an accurate mindset, a sober mindset, an accurate mindset. And then he says this. um, He goes on to talk about gifts. And so it starts with a mindset. And then he says, everyone basically says everyone has a gift and gifts given to them. Therefore, everyone has a responsibility. So. Another thought with this is when we see that God is the giver of all the gifts and that we are totally dependent on him for what we have, then faith is the measure which we either deny or own our gifts. Let me say that again. When we see that God is the giver of all the gifts and that faith is the measure, we will not deny our own gifts. In other words, being sober-minded, having a right view of ourselves means we recognize what God has given us and we become zealous with those gifts to use them in a humble way. Right? So it's not denying that you have a gift. It's saying, I do have, I'm good at this thing and I need to use it on his behalf because he gave it to me. We're going to talk about those gifts in a second, but we have, in order to get to those, we need to first examine ourselves and say, he's the one that gives the gifts. We all have gifts, and he's expecting us to use our gifts in a responsible manner. Does that make sense? Good, I'm glad. I hope so. Third point on this one verse is that without faith, gifts cannot be exercised. Right? Because we are empowered by the gifts. Now, we can be good at various things, but it is, it's faith that empowers our gifts to be used in tangible ways. You say, um, for example, I love this story. I have a friend who goes to our church, um, and she's full of faith, but one of her gifts is hospitality. And there was a time in her life where her and her husband had no money, um, and God said, go use the rest of the money you have in your bank and buy tons of food and host a party for all the neighbors and friends that you have. Because their, their gift is hospitality. And they know how to, put, how, to, uh, how to use that gift in a great way. Because there's a difference between having people over and somebody that has the gift of hospitality. Do you know, the, you know someone that hosts an event and entertains? And then there are those that have hospitality gifts. Well, let me ex- I'll, I'll explain that in a second because some of you don't understand what I'm saying. Because that is a gift. Hospitality is a unique gift. It's not just having people over. There's a gift in people learning how to uh, create space where God kind of meets people in their home and through meal and conversation. It's a gift. So anyway, so they go to the store. They spend all of their money. They come back, right? And they fill up their refrigerator and all the cupboards with all this food. 
they're, uh, they're like, okay, God, we're going to put this on. We're going we're gonna to host some people. They set a date. They had everyone invited coming. Um, and and they, they, they just finished putting all the food away, and they're excited to do this thing. And they're like, all right, we're going to trust you. And next thing they know, they get a knock on the door. It's a neighbor who's not a Christian, suffering, going through a really hard time financially. It comes into the house. They start talking to her. She, they recognize that she's not eating enough. And so God's sitting there. Uh, uh, God speaks to this woman and says, you need to give half of the food that you just bought to her. And she's struggling as she's hearing God, and she does. So she's like, I think God wants me to give this to you. So literally, half of everything they give to this girl. They're like counting eggs. They're pouring orange juice into jars. They, they take half of everything, and they, they help her uh, carry it to her apartment, put it in her apartment. And as they walk back, they're thinking, God, you really have to show up. They go to their refrigerator, to the cupboards, and everything is restored completely. Nothing was missing. Yeah, this is a true story in Long Beach in this last year. They run back down and grab the girl, see all the half food that they gave. They, they can't believe it, so they grab her and say, look at this. And everyone is astounded, astounded by what happened. They're in awe over a miracle that God filled the refrigerator and God filled the cupboards again because they were faithful and faithful in their gift of hospitality. Do you believe that God can do something like this? Do you believe that God will meet you in your gifts when you take a step into the water and part the sea? Do you believe in the voice inside of you whispering into your soul? Or do you believe your budget and your bank account and the voice of reason that says that will never work? How's it going to come to the end? Have you learned to trust God in providing the faith to empower those gifts? Because my friend sees God move all the time. You want to know what faith is? It's the ability to see God. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. But when you have faith, you have the ability to see God move. It's people that are like that, that have that that paycheck come in in the last moment that provides rent. And I don't want to live like that. I'm going to be honest. I want to have money in the bank, right? I don't want to have to worry. But God keeps calling us to risk, to step out so that we can watch him move so we have faith and trust as we move forward. We need faith to exercise our gifts. Now, let's keep going in this verse. It says this. Um, Verse 4, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So, Paul refers to the church as the body. He also refers to it as a family, um, as the temple of God. And he says that we are one body with many members. And although we are different, we all have different functions. And I really want to teach this particular word to us. Function means an activity or purpose that's natural to or intended for a specific person or thing. Right? So function is operating in what you were created to do in the first place. And I think when Paul talks about the church operating, he's talking about each member having a different function um, and, and, and each member using their gifts and the function that they were created for in a unique way. And what he doesn't say is that the church is like a business. He doesn't say the church will be full of people with positions of power and authority. He says there are people in the church, members, that have different functions that function properly out of the gifts God has given to them. He doesn't talk about uh, uh, creating positions of authority, positions of leadership. He talks about 
functionality, that the church is to be like a body that has toes and fingers and fingernails, and every part is operating in its unique capacity. The church is not a place for CEOs and presidents. I really want to talk about this today. Because I see it all the time. We are comfortable with business language in the church. And I, I read business books all the time. I learn best practices from those things. But the church is not primarily a business. It is the body. It is the family of God. It is the pillar of truth in the world. It is the temple of the living God. It is not a place for people to rise up into power and use it for their own good. It is a place where when you have power, you use it for serving others. That's the model of Jesus. And so Paul talks about function. And so we don't see positions, we see functionality. And the best way to describe this is to understand the purpose of the church. The church is here to partner with God in the renewal of all things, to make disciples of all the nations, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, to be reconcilers uh, or, or ministers of reconciliation. That's our task. You with me? But we all have different parts within the body, right? And so I think about the various cleaning uh, stuff we have at our house. For example, uh, my wife likes a clean house, a very clean house. In fact, she, I've learned this very quickly that I, we have different definitions of cleanliness. And um, there are various tools and gadgets and gizmos of plenty that you can absolutely use for a clean house. For example, a broom. This is a broom. And there's a dustpan attached. Uh, is really useful for sweeping. Did you know that? And uh, if you have, let's say, uh, a mess of, of dirt and dust collected and maybe some hairballs from uh, long blonde hair that uh, you find everywhere in your house, including your clothes, after you dry your clothes and it's itching you and it feels like spiders, but that's a different story. <laughs> uh, can I get an amen, anyone? All right. <laughs> but this is really helpful for, let me, you know, I'll just do this. This is what it looks like when you use it properly. That was pretty good, right? Now, some of you will do the whole house with one pile. That's not how it works. You make multiple piles, all right? I'm helping you out. And sometimes when there's dust in the house, you just get a Swiffer. And uh, a, a Swiffer, you can spray stuff on it, and this just collects dust. And it's like this new technology. We just wipe it around, and you just collect dust off the ground. If you have hardwood floors, granite, I'm getting paid for any of them I sell today. So you can use these. I could do infomercials, I think. I think I'd be really good at ShamWow. Um, then, oh, oh go, let's go back to dust. I'll, this, I'll explain this beauty in a second. But then there's the vacuum. How many of you use this regularly? What's great for the vacuum is you can use, you can clean carpets with it. Do you know that? You can get dust and sand uh, out of rugs and carpet. That's what it's used for. And you can do bare, wood, bare floor and stuff, but it's less effective, I would say. Then, the shark. Is this the shark? Yeah. My mom bought me this. And I'll tell you, at first I was skeptical. But this thing, you can, you can steam your floors and scrub those hard uh, floor surfaces. And you can just, you just pump it and steam comes out. It disinfects germs from your community group who always come over sick um, and, and <laughs> infect your house. <laughs> These all function differently, don't they? I, I'm not going to steam my uh, floor with a vacuum. Right? And I'm not going to get 
the uh, dust and dirt out of carpets with a Swiffer. That's not what it's used for. That's not its proper function. This, it, these things, these devices are used for various reasons. They're used for various, in various degrees for various purposes. And so what we have to recognize that as a church, some of you are brooms. <laughs> some of you are the shark, vac, the shark, whatever, you know, your steam clean. Some of you are vacuums. You all have different gifts, different functionality, and you need to use those things in its proper place. Some of you are so good at welcoming people. Seriously, you make people feel at home. Some of you are so good at hanging out and serving little kids. You love children, and you, you're so good at entertaining and, and, and discipling kids. Some of you are great with youth. Some of you um, are strong and can carry heavy stuff, like um, speakers and whatever that bass. Is that a bass? Subwoofer, that's what that is. And we all have gifts, and Paul simply says, if you have a gift, you use it. Leaders, lead. Elders, eld. Ushers, ush. <laughs> and apparently when you go outside and see how to sign up for an usher, you have to have facial hair to be an usher. I'm immediately disqualified because I can't grow facial hair. I cannot be on the usher team. So what we see is that the, different, the point is that in the church, when we all have different gifts and we, we use our gifts in its proper place, the church grows and expands evangelistically. Do you know that? That's the point? That we're actually fulfilling our purpose. The purpose is to clean a house, to clean floors, to make a clean house. But the function's different. The function's different. At the garden, we don't assign or hand out positions of power. Our, the way it works for us is we just invite people to serve. And as a leadership team, we're just all we try to do is identify those people that are already doing it and say, yep, you're doing it. That's what it means to be part of our leadership team. We're looking for people that are serving. We're, we're looking for people that are already doing the thing that God needs them to do in order for our church to be growing up in the full measure of Christ. We need people to show up and do the thing that they're designed to do. So some of you are, can serve, set up and tear down. Some of you do sound. Some of you sing. Some of you host people in your house. Some of you give lots of money. Some of you have talent. Some of you not, have learned how to pray in effective ways. Some of you are great with youth. Some of you love well. And you use your strengths and your gifts and all the things that God has given to you together in the church. And we fulfill our purpose. And I, I love the worship team because all these guys, none of them get a paycheck. None of them get uh, anything. Terrence and Tanya, they're preparing for Sunday on Monday morning. They're, they're showing up early to set up sound early. I think 7 o'clock is when they get here. They've prepared the set. They've practiced the set. They lead us not to get a paycheck, because God, but God gave them the ability to sing, the ability to lead worship, the ability to make music. And they're playing music on behalf of the garden to God with their skills, but also on behalf of God for us. They're creating an environment for us to enter in so that we can worship God. And yet, only about 15 of us are here to do that. But they don't care. They're not getting paid for it. They're doing what Jesus asked them to do. And we're better for it. You with me? Man, I'm preaching today. Yep. Okay, let's keep going. It says this, and I'll, I'll finish with this, because Paul goes on to talk about gifts. 
If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul makes a list here. He makes a list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. He talks about spiritual gifts. He makes a different list in Ephesians chapter 4 about gifts in the church like apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He talks about 1 Corinthians in, uh, chapter 14 about a, very, a variety of gifts. And the point is this. Different members of the church have different gifts, all of which have their place, and each should use their gifts um, to its fullness, to its fullest. And so if you prophesy, if you speak the words of the Lord, then do that with faith. If you serve, which is the word for deacon, then serve. If it's to uh, teach, then teach. If it's to encourage, which is the word to uh, exhort or inspire, encourage, um, then do that. If it's to give, then you, the word is imparting. Then, then just keep giving regularly. If you lead or the word is elder, then do it diligently with purpose and intentionality. And if it's to show mercy, do it joyfully. The point is, look, there's loads of gifts in the church and we just got to use them. We just got to do it. I think Paul is the original just do it campaign. I'm just saying um, Nike might have some battles there, but that's what he's saying is just go for it. And there's nothing secretive. If you want to learn about speaking in tongues, you want to learn about interpretation of tongues, which are biblical gifts for today. Well, then we can we can create space and environments for those things. Do you know that? It's not scary. But we've got to create space where we're using our gifts. And it's not just spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters. We see this all the time. And I'm going to keep going for a few minutes and then we'll worship and pray. But I haven't been here, so I'm excited to be back. Um, You do this all the time. I have a friend who has a truck. And you know what's great about a truck is he can help you when you need to move. And so this guy gets called every time anybody on the planet is having to move. And so what you see is that he has this gift a truck with a purpose and a function of carrying lots of stuff. He didn't buy it because it looked cool. Most people don't buy trucks because they look cool unless you live in 909 Riverside. But other than that, most people use it for their function. Some of you have friends that when you're going through a really hard time, you go to them, right? They're the first person that you call because they're nurturing, caring shepherds. Some of you have friends that when you have a business idea, you go to them because they're going to help you make that happen. They're very strategic and they're brilliant with business. Some of you have friends um, that know how to have a good time, that when you're around them, you just feel better about life in general. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does anyone here have those friends that you like, you, you know if you want to have a good time and laugh. They're the people you go to. There are people in our lives where we do this all the time. The question is, what gifts do you have? You have them. God's given them to you. And now you're on a quest to discover that. And use it in the world. Some of you have. You've, using, you've used God-given gifts in the world. And you've made money. You've found career paths. But God wants you to use gifts in the church. Now, this is separate from spiritual gifts. We'll talk about that later. But God wants you to use your gifts, you, the gifts he's given you for the sake of the church to grow. So that we can continue to fulfill our purpose as, as a church. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.